Welcome to the Smart Driving Cars podcast. Thanks for joining us. This edition is sponsored by the Smart ETFs, Smart Transportation and Technology ETF, symbol MOTO. For more information, head to MOTOETF.com. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with the Faculty Chair of Autonomous Vehicle Engineering at Princeton University, Alan Kornhauser. Hi, Alan. Hi, good morning, Fred. And we are very happy to have with us former Deputy Assistant U.S. Transportation Secretary for Research and Technology, Diana Furchgott-Roth. Thank you for taking the time to be with us, Diana. Great to be with you. Uh, Diana, it's, it's such a treat to have you with us. Good morning. Well, good morning, Alan. I have such good memories of coming to your Smart Drive conference. I just can't wait for it to be in person again. Well, we're, we're getting you involved, okay? Yes, absolutely. Uh, and we're trying to do it this year uh, with uh, uh, over Zoom, uh, over many sessions. Uh, uh, next year, we're going to be back in Princeton, and we can uh, uh, get back to normalcy. I mean, we have... Never mind. We won't go there. <laughs> well, as you know, I have six children who've graduated from Princeton. It's one of my favorite campuses. Uh, it better be. Otherwise, I mean, Jesus, you, you contributed enough. I, oh, my goodness. I didn't realize. Yes, we are. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> well, Diana, for, for the audience here, you're an economist, author, senior fellow at the Manhattan Institute, and have served in a variety of government positions. That was where I was before I was Deputy Assistant Secretary for Research and Technology. Uh, I'm now a professor at George Washington University, an adjunct professor in the Applied Economic MA program. So happy to have you on the academic side of the wall now. <laughs> we'll have a lot of fun together. <laughs> I'm going to be teaching transportation economics. Uh, and so I'm just getting my course together. And I'm going to make them read uh, all uh, your posts and all. Uh, I'll do that. <laughs> That's no, no. Uh, you'll scare. What? No. Go ahead. Yes. Uh, very nice. <clears throat> Politics being what they've been in Washington, the Senate never really did act on your confirmation in the in the last administration. Yet you went ahead, did your job fully. Let's talk about some of the key issues you, you faced in trying to advance new technologies for mobility and autonomous vehicles. Right, well, first of all, my, the career staff at the Office of Research and Technology is really terrific. They're the most professional career staff I have ever worked with, and I've worked at three cabinet agencies, and they did so much to advance the technology uh, and to work on these issues. So first of all, kudos to them. We faced several technical issues, uh, one of them with the 5.9 band. As you may know, 75 megahertz had been set aside by Congress for intelligent transportation systems and connected vehicles. And uh, Alain, I know that you have qualms about the possibility of connected vehicles, but the intelligent transportations component is up and working and deployed in many, many cities. The problem was that the FCC wanted to take away 45 megahertz of that 75 megahertz. And towards the end, they actually put out a draft rule and order to do just that, but it has not yet been published in the federal register. So uh, it might not in fact take place. We'll have to keep watching for that. The problem is that if our companies do not have that allocated spectrum, then they can't develop different types of technology, whether it's connected vehicles, whether it's automated vehicles, and it's very important that they have the wherewithal to do that. For example, your iPhone, all these different generations of iPhones, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. 10, 11. I'm on number six plus myself, but uh, uh, they wouldn't be able to work if there wasn't spectrum for them to go over. And that's why it's important to keep the US competitive advantage. Other countries have put aside 70 or 75 megahertz in that same 5.9 band. So if a car, for example, with connected vehicle or intelligent transportation system technology would drive from Canada through the United States to Mexico, it would be sad if the technology worked in Canada and Mexico, but it did not work in the United States. That's the kind of thing we're up against. Interesting. What are some of the other issues that uh, you had to tackle in this position? 
over the well, over oddly the years. enough, and I would never have guessed this coming into my job that so much time would be taken with the spectrum uh, that our companies could be using to operate their type technology. So another one was GPS. There's a company called Legado that wanted to expand uh, uh, out of uh, its space. It had space basically to operate uh, uh, in space. It was able to use the spectrum in space and it wanted a modification for terrestrial uh, use, uh, which would have interfered with GPS, the global positioning system, which is a bit like uh, a whisper. And if there's a large noise, then it crowds out that whisper. And the Department of Transportation is the lead agency for civilian GPS. DOD is the agency for military GPS and DOT is the agency for civilian GPS and that office is under me. So we spent a tremendous amount of time on this Legado issue, giving classified briefings to the commissioners, showing them why this uh, would interfere with GPS. So we have about uh, 80 to 120 million car navigation systems that would have been affected, uh, Garmin watches, precision agriculture, uh, construction, digital construction, where you get a GPS uh, note for where to put a nail rather than just using a blueprint, for example. This would have been tremendously expensive. And this is still up in the air. This is still something for the next FCC to deal with. The entire executive branch filed a petition for reconsideration against the FCC to stop Legato uh, moving into uh, the space which would have affected GPS, but the FCC did not back down. So that took a lot of time also. Plus there was work on GPS. So, so on, on that one, let me, if I may jump in, uh, although this is, um, um, I, of course I have an opinion on that one too. Um, uh, I couldn't support you more. Okay, uh, I consider myself a, a pioneer in the using of GPS <clears throat> uh, with um, uh, for for transportation. Um, I like to say I put the first uh, nationwide GPS turn by turn navigation system on the market in August 1997 before anybody whatever. I was out there on May 1st, uh, uh, 2000, I believe it was when. Uh, when Clinton signed the the executive order to to basically uh, improve uh, the quality of GPS by an order of magnitude, just by signing a pen, but by signing a document, I'm out there driving around. I remember, I recall in 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 Boston, Massachusetts, and all of a sudden, just out of, I mean the accuracy of of the map matching that you have to do in that process, and I absolutely know about interference of that very, very, very uh, uh, scant signal that one gets. I mean, the, the beauty of it is it's everywhere, but the problem with it is that the signal, signal is very, very weak for whatever purposes, whatever, that's, the, that's just what we have. And of course the intrusion from, from anything such that the, from any noise, the signal noise ratio gets to be um, too low, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Uh, Mercedes puts this film on their windshield so that it can sense rain hitting it Okay, so it automatically turns on my windshield wipers. Thank you, Mercedes. But guess what? It keeps us, it, it reduces the signal strength of the GPS signal coming into it. So if I want to use Copilot inside my car, I can't. Okay, it has to have the antenna outside and I have to use Mercedes's version as opposed to my version. Drives me nuts. But it is so, so darn important. And as you mentioned, it is now everywhere, yeah. especially in precision um, uh, construction. I mean, uh, you know, Tremble's out there, you know, doing that stuff worldwide precision. And it, 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 it needs, it depends it. So that one, that, that, both of them have to be protected. Whether or not we're all going to be connected sooner or later, whatever to, you know, 
drive around is, is a whole other story, but those, those spectrums have to be protected, um, not only for transportation, but, but for all of these other applications. And I can't, I can't support you more on that one. You actually issued a report the department did uh, shortly, it was earlier this month, right, uh, to Congress on this. Right, yes. Uh, so aside from the Legato matter, where, as I said, it was unprecedented. It's never happened before that the entire executive branch filed a petition with the FCC to back off on this. We were also looking by another order of Congress. We were looking at how to back up GPS, even if we didn't have the Legato situation. What if there was an electromagnetic storm or a military attack that took out our satellites? GPS, very few people know, is based on our satellite system. And Congress had asked us to look at a backup in case the satellites went down. So last year, we looked at 11 different technologies. Uh, the companies came and tested them, did a dry run in February. We tested them in March. We wrote up this long report uh, that was published shortly before we left that's on uh, the website at the Transportation Department. It was sent to Congress earlier this month, and it compares these different technologies and how they can be used to back up GPS. So the next step is for funding for these technologies, either private funding or government funding, so that we have some backup in case there's a problem with the satellites. So that took a lot of time also. My smartest decision at DOT was when my staff came to me and said, well, we're doing this project and it's going to be done. The tests are going to be finished in December 2020. I said, what? December 2020? That is no time to be finishing anything. What can we do to get it finished earlier? So uh, we did testing in parallel tracks, and the testing was finished, in fact, in June 2020. We revamped the schedule. And of course, it took us six months to write the report, get it through all the clearance processes at DOT, at the White House, at the executive branch agencies, and still it was published a few days before uh, I left office. Congratulations on that. No, really, I mean, protecting GPS, it, it, we, we, we have become so dependent on it. I mean, so much of our lives is really, it's, I, I like to think of it as, is it, is it maybe the military's the best thing that it's done for, for, for the civilian society? I mean, you look at how, how, it, how something that was supposed to have a military application, certainly valuable for the military, certainly they can pay for it. All of a sudden, I mean, we as individual citizens benefit from this, you know, so enormously. So, yeah, it's... This is something that has bipartisan support. This is not a partisan issue. No, absolutely. This is a people thing. I mean, uh, Maria Cantwell, who's, I believe, going to be the new chairman of the Senate Commerce Committee, she was fully in favor of this. And many, many uh, Democrats uh, sure. and Republicans on Capitol Hill, they're all joined together about the importance of this. Now, how much money Congress should put towards it, that's, of course, another question. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but there may be another uh, enough private sector benefit for all of this and private sector, sector security. And the last thing the private sector wants is uncertainty. And so the backups are, you know, are, are, are good for, for everybody. Okay. <laughs> well, we found that the financial sector has put in place a backup. The banks have put in backups. They're not so much interested in the location. They're very interested in the timing. In other words, whether you do a transaction at 4 or 4 or 5 p.m. matters a lot to banks. So they have put in place backup. But the rest of the industry hasn't. There's no backup for Trimble. There's no backup for John Deere with its tractors that do precision agriculture. So you can have a seed in one place and fertilizer in that same place and water in that same place, rather than just throwing seeds and fertilizer and water over a very large area. That doesn't have a backup. The car navigation system, the Garmin watches, they don't have a backup. So it's interesting to see where the backups have developed in the private sector. 
Yeah, and and of course you mentioned for in case some of our audience don't realize that GPS is all about timing. It is really timing because that's in the sense how you get your position. But timing is, I mean, there are Tommy clocks up there. That's what they do. That's really what they do. Okay. And, and broadcast the timing signal. Really interesting. So among some of the other, if you take a look at the broad picture, of the autonomous vehicle industry. Lots of progress made over the last uh, four years. Of course, the pandemic maybe slowed things down to, with some companies and with others, uh, maybe not, not so much. What's your assessment of where this industry is today and in your, your thinking about the, the future, where this is leading? Usually I listen to uh, Alan's podcast to see uh, where the industry is today, but we tried to make more regulatory certainty within the department, publishing uh, publications such as uh, AB 3.0, 4.0, to see if we could give more regulatory clarity so that these industries would be developing on their own. So that was our efforts rather than to try uh, to micromanage where the industry was going to go. We did put out a university transportation center grant for the University of Pittsburgh to develop more accessibility in automated vehicles. And uh, we hope that that's going to be a success. I'm going to be watching that very carefully as it goes forward. Uh, but I think the major, uh, the major advantages, the major improvements are going to be uh, in the private sector and the job of the government is just to put uh, very uh, clear safety rules, performance-based rules, so that these can develop on their own. And we see them developing with uh, shuttles during the pandemic, uh, there's some delivery vehicles. So it's gonna be really interesting to see where that goes. If anything, I think the pandemic has accelerated the demand for certain kinds of automation rather than held it back. And it may have also accelerated the development too, as, as I've talked to a number of folks out there, you know, the, much of the industry is involved in writing code. Okay, I mean, it really is, it really is the intelligence of really taking the data, making the understanding the data better that you collect, and then doing the right thing and doing the right thing every 30th of a second all the time. And that, that's just, that's largely code. There is a certain amount of testing that needs to be out there. There's a certain amount of testing that needs to be with mother nature and so on. But the simulation tools have all advanced. They've gotten a lot better. One can progress a lot farther down there. One can do a lot more in terms of scenario analyses and the, all those kinds of things. So, it, you know, and, and it sort of got people off their back, I guess, to get things out there more. It, Yes, in one sense, more quickly, but maybe not more quickly, but certainly more carefully. And for the most part, everybody's been out there very, very careful. There haven't been loose cannons on the deck out there, you know, whatever, and the other cliches that we use to describe those. You Right? I have the right perspective on the thing, or what do you think? Definitely. The Department of Transportation is very, very professional, very bipartisan. Uh, some of the smartest folks I've ever worked with, they've worked in this industry their whole careers. It, yeah, it, it is. And, and, and I think I think people are, you know, mobility is really important. And, and, and of course, mobility for, for those that really need it, the, could use it the most, improve their, what are we doing this for? Improvement of quality of life, right? I mean, I, I hope that's what we're doing it for. Is there, there's no other reason and quality of life for, for everybody or those folks that need it the most. I think that's, that's my simple view on it. Right. And it's interesting to see what vehicles people have been buying over the past year after the pandemic. Uh, a substantial share have been SUVs in these large vehicles. And it's interesting that the new administration is pivoting to more incentives for electric vehicles. They want to get people into smaller vehicles rather than the larger vehicles that people have been purchasing since the beginning of the pandemic. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how that turns out, whether the incentives are going to result in an increase in the share of electric vehicles. There've been about 120 million, I believe. You know the figures better than I do. 
but about yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, so let me ask you a hard question there. I mean, a question that's that, that we're we're trying to address. Yes, uh, in some sense, maybe electric vehicles should be promoted. There, there's, it's a deeper discussion than than than. There was an article in New York Times yesterday, and so on, whatever. But there's a deeper discussion. That, but what about vehicles that don't crash? Okay, because that's the key to safety. And why isn't there an incentive to do that? A couple of, you know, really, these are tough questions. One is safety is the most important thing that DOTs, that's the real reason why DOT exists is make sure that things are out there flying safe, on the water safe, on the road safe. I mean, number one, right? Okay. If these things subject to the travel that people want to do subject to the travel of course i mean in the end it's quality of life you got to be supporting that if i mean right of, of course that's the driver to make people but, completely safe they would just all stay home well of course that, yeah that, that's why it, it's an asymptotic thing it's something it's something we strive for Okay, it's it's of course something we strive for, but here with this technology, this technology is focused on. We've done a lot with respect to crash mitigation, marvelously with respect to crash mitigation. This deals with crash avoidance, not having it at all. Okay, all right. Why, for example, not to throw out a Subaru Eyesight, which is essentially on you know really is focused on keeping cars from its cars from crashing. Why isn't that promoted by government incentive? Why isn't cars that aren't going to that are really not going to crash being promoted with a X thousand dollar whatever like electric vehicles? In a sense, certainly the climate and where we live is is an objective okay but certainly safety is an objective why don't we put money behind that i mean real money in terms of you know five thousand dollars off on your car or taxes whatever they whatever has been put on any thoughts on that one or is that too weird <laughs> these tax incentives not the department of transportation the department of transportation NHTSA, sure National highway transportation sure and they have a program called ncap Star sure. uh, right which, uh, gives, uh, depending on certain features but that's very limited uh, yeah if congress were to have a program with tax incentives for example for an automatic braking system uh then that might really really jumpstart things to go yeah. back to the spectrum and the 5.9 band, there are technologies, and Continental has one, that fit on basically traffic lights. So if that gizmo can see two cars coming towards each other and about to hit each other, these cars are out of line of sight, so they mm -hmm. do not see each other, uh, then uh, this device gives a warning to both drivers. So uh, the connected vehicle uh, uh, effort, uh, the whole impetus of that was safety. Sure. Uh, that's why the department was fighting so hard to keep that 75 megahertz for the safety band. And these technologies are available. They could be deployed. Uh, they could work on either DSRC or CV to X. Mm -hmm. uh, and cars could be able to talk to each other through what's called a bridge, a bit like a translator. So if you speak Mandarin and someone else speaks English, it would translate. So there's a lot of uh, uh, opportunities for safety which the government could do by preserving this 75 megahertz and allowing companies to use it. You know, Toyota was going to roll out the devices in its mm -hmm. cars in 2018. And you right. got a letter from a couple of FCC commissioners saying, don't do this, we're going to take away the ban. So uh, there is a lot of potential. Toyota's looking at deploying in Japan. Volkswagen is looking at deploying in Europe. All these things would increase traffic safety. And right now, our government is just standing in the way of that. But tax incentives would be uh, something that Congress could pass. Uh, and it looks like they have a massive stimulus package. And a few little tax incentives for automatic braking systems would just be a drop in the bucket of what they're considering right now. Mm -hmm. What what advice would you have, uh, Diana, for the for the new administration and, and people who are 
going to be filling these positions. As you mentioned before, a lot of people that you worked with are, are career people and their work con continues on. But what, what advice would you give? Stay out of the way? <laughs> no, 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 no. My, my advice would be to, well, first of all, I want to congratulate my successor, uh, Robert Hampshire, who has a PhD from Princeton in engineering. So I'm sure he's very well known. To all uh, in Orphe too, operations research and financial engineering. <laughs> you know, of course, great. <laughs> yes, thank you. Very, very well qualified. I'm sure he's going to do a wonderful job overseeing the research and technology. Uh, and I believe he's already started. So my congratulations to him. Mine too. Uh, and I think the next administration, as you say, should focus on safety. Also looking at what people want to drive, where people want to go, making it easier for them to purchase the vehicles they want to drive rather than forcing them into smaller vehicles with smaller ranges. And maybe focusing the electric efforts on things like delivery vehicles, uh, shuttle buses that find it easier to charge up overnight. Uh, and uh, we also need to look at if we're interested in global climate change, if we're interested in emissions, uh, how much difference is electricity going to make to global climate change? These batteries have to be produced. They have to be shipped. The electricity to run them has to be generated somewhere. If we don't use nuclear power, that causes emissions. So we need to take a long, hard look as to what we want to do and the best way of doing it. We're all interested in a cleaner environment. Uh, but cars have been, gasoline-powered cars have been getting more and more efficient over the past decades, and um, they do a pretty good job, too. Diana, what you mentioned there is really uh, very, very important. You know, the, we need the energy, and the question is, is not only what is it, where did it come from? What did it take to make it? What, the interesting thing about transportation is you need energy as you're moving, so therefore, you need to get that energy, w carry it with you, okay? So one of, the, one of the nice things about petroleum is that it, you, we put it in a tank, you know, what's the cost to make the tank? Almost nothing. What's it take environmentally to make the tank? Almost nothing. What's, it, what's the weight of the tank? Almost nothing. The, the fuel weighs some, but the tank doesn't combine. Then you look at batteries, okay? We still have to make some substantial improvements in that mobile carrying, that, that, that gas tank. It's a, a battery's a gas tank because it moves with you and allows you to have the energy when you need it, where you need it, okay? And the improvement in that thing, it barely has moved since 1837 or whatever. I, we have been moving recently, which is a really good, good, great news. I, I think some news out of China recently said that, at least from them, the, the cost there, who knows how it's subsidized, blah, 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 and all the details, but it's basically gone down an order of magnitude in a year, in, in 10 years, okay? You know, that's beginning to be the kinds of things we've seen in the computer and the computing industry with Moore's law, it's a Moore's law on that. If we could get the Moore's law on batteries, you know, then, then it's almost a no brainer. Okay. Plus that you, we can make bigger, we can get the range with all the other things, you know, that, that come with it. The battery is really important. The other is where in the heck's the energy come from right now? Marginal energy is generated by coal. So in fact, when you transfer a gallon of gasoline for whatever kilowatt hours of, of energy you need, that's a marginal increase in the demand of energy, of electricity. How does that marginal increase get generated? Oh, yipes. So if we can go to nuclear, right? Go, go with the go, go. <laughs> Uh, we're getting more natural gas, uh, so that's taking over from the coal. coal yeah, of course, of course it is. But, yeah, but, uh, uh, that's still, but that eats into what we already use, right? Yeah, yeah. We also need to think about the geopolitical aspects of this. Yeah. Uh, the, a lot of components in our electric car supply chain come from China. China has a lot of the materials, it uses the batteries, 
and uh, we need to think about how dependent do we want to be on China for our transportation supply. Whereas a lot of the components for gasoline-powered vehicles are right here in the United States, and we're generating the oil and we have the refineries. That's another important component. Yeah, and then the the other comments that have been made in this uh, by others uh, on our podcast is, uh, you know, where does the skateboard then come from that now moves us around here? Is it all is it all like the lime scooters that are you know, that flooded us or the electric bikes that flooded us and so on, boom, boom, boom. And I don't even want to go near that when I, I, I'm just not, uh, it's not a slam dunk yet. The electric vehicle is, I guess, our point here. And I think it, it, it takes some continued deep thought on this thing. Well, yeah, I think that there are 120,000 electric vehicles sold in 2019, and of those, about 90,000 were Teslas. Yeah. That's really interesting also. And as you say, uh, Tesla has a particular marketing strategy, as you've said. Yeah. Yeah. And Tesla's a damn... Yeah. Yeah, of course, and it's a, it's a nice vehicle and so on and whatever. And yes, absolutely, uh, um, Sure. Uh, great. Elon's great. Elon's, doing, Elon's hitting it out of the park. It seems like in every, every time he gets up to bat or whatever. Uh, wonderful. It, uh, that's, that's good competition. I think, you know, that's, that's, that's good for the economy, but it's not a slam dunk that, that we necessarily yet should be all the way over there. seems like the whole industry is moving in that direction, but we'll be back with, with more, But first, this is a good time to remind you about our sponsor, the Smart ETFs, Smart Transportation and Technology ETF, symbol MOTO. To get more info, head to MOTOETF.com. On the website, look for the white paper called the Smart Transportation Revolution. It's under the Insights and News tab. Lots of great information to help you make informed decisions about investing. Um, ETFs, you may know, are a smart way can be a smart way to spread risk with your investments and focus on a particular category. The site, once again, is MOTOETF.com. We're back and some headlines to touch on this week from the Smart Driving Cars newsletter. Uh, As we've been talking about, I guess, uh, to some extent, we go from the previous administration to the new one where Pete Buttigieg is likely to be confirmed as Transportation Secretary. And he's uh, pledged support for President Biden's $2 trillion infrastructure rebuilding plan. Uh, Alan, and you've already mentioned some of the people who are going to be working in the department appointees, uh, Robert Hampshire and Vin White. Yeah, yeah. And I think the other thing that I sort of pointed out, I I just think that that the Department of Transportation over the past four years did a darn great job. I think it's I think I think we're in in really pretty darn good, darn good shape. And and you just look at I I went through the list of executive orders or whatever that that are going to are about to be signed or were signed. And I think there were only like three things at, at Department of Transportation that were being in some sense turned around or whatever, uh, whereas in the others, some other sectors of, of the economy, uh, there are a lot more. I just think it's wonderful. I I think it's wonderful that, that look, this all this technology, we don't know what we don't know, and we need to admit that. And we need to be careful and we need to, as the previous administration did, it, it provided, it provided, let's find out. Yes, there's a risk. Uh, everything's a risk. Life's a risk. My goodness, it'd be boring if it wasn't a, if life wasn't a risk. Risk is actually good in some sense when you get right down to it. Uncertainty is good. You know the future. You don't want to live it. Okay. I mean, you know, it's nice that it's uncertain. Uh, so, so in a, in a sense. Uh, I think it, I think it's good, and hopefully this administration, and I think it will, uh, will continue that. We we just have to we have to learn a lot more, and and we should. And there was good discussion. There was great discussion with with the previous administration, and we can continue to go on good discussion. And, and most of these things aren't partisan; they're just trying to provide quality of life improvements to people. <clears throat> 
you know, and that's that's really what they're focused on. And let's just focus on that. And I think we'll be we'll be fine. And I think the, at least the two people that I know very well in the administration, I think they'll, they'll be great. And, and again, uh, Robert is Robert. What a what a great follow up with you. I mean, it, it, just wonderful. Right. And, and his group, Entree, has just done really great work up in Michigan. Yeah. One thing, Alan, that uh, is disturbing, and you kind of were talking about it before in the conversation with Diana, preliminary data for the first nine months of last year from NHTSA uh, shows an alarming increase in traffic fatalities during the period. And I'm saying you talked about it before, promoting you know, why not incentivize the, the safety tech? But I'm not sure that it's the safety tech that's the issue here. What's going yeah, on? Yeah, no, I, I'll say that it is. I don't know if Diana, but not, not that, that Diana is an academic. Maybe she can say that it is. But, uh, but, um, but uh, yeah, the alarming number is, is, the, uh, is the deaths per vehicle miles traveled. That's the alarming number. That's you know, you know that that that's kind of the rate measure, and and you know we can sort of uh, hypothesize, look over, see how we've behaved, how how our neighbors behaved, how what we've sensed, and you know uh, all that. You know more more texting, more whatever, more you know fewer fewer con less congestion out there. Therefore, people are going fast, people are going nuts, their brains, or who knows what they're 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 you know, the, the pandemic has been bad in many, many uh, uh, directions, okay? But darn it, we really are very close to having technology that we can put in vehicles. The, the reason, I keep saying the reason the 90 some percent of crashes that have human involved in them are because we misbehave, you know? If we text, it's misbehaving. If we look over here and check something out, it's misbehaving. If we fall asleep, it's misbehaving. If we have a, too many adult beverages, it's misbehaving. If we, if, we, if we go way too fast, it's misbehaving. If we're tailgating, it's misbehaving. And we should, we should, we have enough intelligence to not only have the sensors look out to what's happening, but also look in to the person without invading privacy and say, maybe, hey, cool it. Or maybe, you know, we're going to, we're not going to let you do that. Or we'll take the toy away from you if you misbehave or something like that. You know, the tech, we have the capability of doing it without without taking away all your rights. And there are two reasons that fatalities increased, uh, potential reasons they, they increased during the pandemic. First of all, it could be that the existing people on the road were driving faster uh, because of the lack of congestion. Or it could be that the more risk averse people were staying inside as they were told to do during the pandemic. And it was just the riskier people, the risk loving people uh, that were out misbehaving don't come risk loving they're misbehaving darn it uh, I, i'll be i'll be you know outlandish on this one go ahead people who decided well they could go see their friends and they could go to the grocery store rather than staying inside or having their groceries delivered you know you can call them whatever they like uh uh whatever yeah. you like but anyway yeah. it could be a different group of people on the road uh so that's our possibility number two but anyway whatever it is we do have the technologies we do have the technologies to slow people down. And in fact, um, these NHTSA driving uh, messages that come around Labor Day or Memorial Day, don't drive drunk, ticket or uh, click it, click it or ticket, something like that. What I've suggested to them is rather than having these banners, why don't we just have more police cars out there or even a fake police car with its lights on, more of these fake police cars, because that really makes people slow down. They see a police car, makes them slow down. So rather than the messages, let's put some dummy police vehicles out there, as well as all the technologies that you're talking about. Because the technologies would go in the new vehicles, and there's still a big pipeline of old vehicles like my 2004 Jeep that still has to get off. Absolutely. Yeah, no, that, that, the, the, all those, absolutely. But, but really, we do have, and we should, I think we should start where, where it's easy for us, start putting them in the new cars. Have, have the manufacturers want to put them in there. 
because in the sense, uh, you know, uh, sometimes uh, it's good. I, I like being whacked every once in a while and put me back in straight and narrow because otherwise, uh, you know, I kind of go off the deep end. And, and so uh, uh, um, we need to be reminded, we're only human. We're only trying to, you know, live our lives. Help us out, okay? Don't ask us to be absolutely perfect, okay? When when we're it, we're when we're not perfect, help us out. Give us a jail, get out of jail free card, okay? If you give us that, and then you know we might not. We'll say thank you. I'm texting. It keeps me from, you know, I didn't want to text. All right, you know, I had a good excuse or whatever. I, it shouldn't matter, okay? If it saves my butt. I'm going to be thankful. Why not put it in there for, to save me? Okay, do it for, I don't know. That's just throwing that out there for discussion's sake. I don't know. What do I know? <laughs> well, it's a good point, and Diana made a great point Absolutely. as well, that with all of the older vehicles out there, uh, that she she's driving one, I'm, I'm driving one too. It's going to take a long time or, or for, how for, to, for this technology to really be pervasive or how maybe to put some research and development money on how to do retrofit devices that go in there and are very inexpensive and people might do and if they aren't going to buy it maybe give it to them as a gift if they buy this or that or i don't know there there are other there are way there once we defining the problem is always the toughest part <laughs> once you define the problem we can find solution if that's the problem let's fix it there are thirty-seven thousand deaths on the road every year yeah and what concerns me is that policymakers just don't they seem to take this for granted i mean here every covid death is a tragedy and there are articles written about covid victims and they, uh, that death is indeed a tragedy, but also so are the 37,000 deaths on the road and plus uh, the about 1.2, 1.5 million injuries that can change people's lives and change the lives of families. And uh, people are opting for more safe technology. There are in fact retrofit kits that you can put on vehicles and um, maybe something needs to be done in terms of a tax incentive or maybe just more publicity. And as it takes off, then the cost of retrofitting is gonna go down because more people purchase these kits and more people purchase this equipment. Yeah, and, and you, make, you make the very good point, the 1.5 million um, uh, serious um, uh, accidents that change people's lives. I mean, in one sense, almost, you know, I hate to say, it, you know, once you're dead, okay, you move, you know, these things last, you know, 40 years, you know, that's, that may be a, a bigger thing to focus on than, well, it's. Did Twitter delete your account? What happened, Alan? <laughs> I am so bad with technology. My laptop ran out of power and it wasn't plugged in. I just got this notice the plug. You may have seen me looking around my computer. I'm looking for the plug before I got a chance to plug it in. It killed me. I hate technology. There's an electric vehicle somewhere in the middle of North New Hampshire where it's telling you you got to find a charging station. So. No, I, I mean, look, of course. You can just plug it in with your electric vehicle in the middle of nowhere. You have a big problem. Look, it's that's tough. You, you know, that's that's really tough. Alan, uh, Microsoft is investing in Cruise, uh, GM's driverless car unit. An interesting move there. And I'm envisioning, being a tech reporter, another battle between Apple and Microsoft <laughs> on the roads. Uh, yeah, I, sure. Microsoft should be there. It should be there. Amazon's going to be there. Amazon's going to be there because of the movement of, uh, of goods. Absolutely. They, they, they need free delivery. How, how can they get closer to free delivery? Uh, costing free. You know, they price it free. No, not really. We pay for it, but never, never. We won't talk about that. The partnership with GM and the, and the, two, yeah, I think it's know, like $2 billion it's dollars at this point. $2 billion, uh, 
you know, is that a big number? No, so, uh, yeah, it's, it's an appropriate number. They need to be there. If you look at, if you look at the information support that's going to have to be these with these vehicles, they're going to be connected. Whether they're connected to each other is not. The, anybody who puts these vehicles out there is going to watch over them. I mean, they're not just going to let them go out there and just, you know, roam like cats. No, I mean they're going to watch over that need. That needs a pipe. That needs community. That needs back background uh, computers supporting them and whatever and you know clouds and so on and so forth and communication. Talk about talk about why we need why we need the the bandwidth. It's to support all that. Okay. Even even current new vehicles are watched over. So our big savannah van for example if it's time for it to get an oil change we get a little notice from gm saying time to get an oil change absolutely of course and we as consumers are probably as long we've got to watch out for the privacy issue we have to watch out that it's not misused but we're going we're not we're going to not be able to live without it Okay. I'm not sure consumers are that concerned about privacy, and these privacy issues can be dealt with. Uh, you know, Bern Grush, and he has found yeah. ways of dealing with these privacy issues when it comes to all kinds of ways. You have the data, but the company doesn't have to have them or doesn't have to reveal it. Right, and and what and what some companies one of the things in the data thing is is that does all of it need to be harvested? I, I, I tell my students, or maybe, you know, maybe I'm goofy, all right, but I said, you know, one of the good things that the brain does is it forgets. Oh, my goodness, we need optimal forgetting, okay? We need optimal, you think about all the, sens all the sensory inputs that go on whatever nanoseconds that go up to your, you know, a lot of how many of them you know god when she de designed us you know designed us to throw away much of that crap okay let's get to what is important you know for you to be happy <laughs> you know and and so some of that needs to be put into this whole business privacy there and 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 i yeah there are ways there are ways to to, to address it and I think, we're, you know, those that do it well, I guess we'll embrace and we'll be happy and, you know, and they'll be happy and we'll see, everybody will be happy. Also in the new, oh, go ahead, Diana. Uh, before I go, I just wanted to let you know that my uh, office set up a new center for excellence for highly automated safety systems. Uh, we got a grant from Congress last year and more funds this year. And what this center does is it looks at safety problems with highly automated safety systems. And we have a director, Robert Heilman, uh, and about six staff. So as well as working on GPS issues, we're gonna be working on artificial intelligence, machine learning issues. So this was set up by Congress to be a resource to all the different modes of the transportation department, the FAA, the FTA, uh, NHTSA, motor carriers. If they have questions about safety, they can go to this new center in the Office of Research and Technology. So uh, that's one of our big achievements this past year, and I'm really proud of it. And uh, Robert Heilman uh, has a lot of experience, decades yep. of experience, and he used to work at DOD also. So he has experience with these safety issues from the defense angle too. Wonderful. Alan, from the, from the newsletter, uh, again, there were two pieces from the New York Times highlighted, one talking about the pandemic jeopardizing the long-term health of public transit systems, and the other on a proposed $10 billion overhaul of the Port Authority bus terminal. Yeah, well, you know, the, on the, let's deal with the $10 billion. The Port Authority bus terminal needs, needs an overhaul. Um, the interesting thing about the buses from New Jersey, the, the, the constraining element is the XBL, the exclusive bus lane leading in in the morning, at, which basically limits the buses to 750 buses per hour, and that limits the capacity. What, what is beautiful about, about the express bus service into Manhattan uh, out, of, out of New Jersey is you can disperse your pickup points and then bring them in and have a really efficient ride into the city. It's a, it's a really good solution to a many-to-one transportation 
transportation problem. Uh, the throat on it is the XBL. Okay, and if you if if if, if you then even went to automation or something, what you'd like to do is because of the dispersed nature of the demand, you'd like to have as many buses per hour for bringing these people as opposed to making them wait, grouping them in there and then moving them. And so, you know, the number of, of vehicles per hour you'd like to be able to bring into New York uh, is almost unbounded. You want it to be big. Okay, the constraint is the XBL 750. The reason that the interesting thing that I found out 25 years ago in terms of the, what's the reason for that is, is the variance in headway, the separation of buses because of the human driver, just because of human driving variant variances. If you put a headway control system in there that basically maintains that separation, remove the variance remove much of the variance, you'll still have some, then you can basically increase the capacity by 50%. If you go through all the numbers and da da dee, da da da's. Okay, all of a sudden, my goodness, it turns out maybe 25 years ago, it was a challenge to put a, a something that look like, looks like uh, eyesight or what is, is in a number of cars in intelligent cruise control and cars, which in Toyota or a Toyota in, in um, Subaru is standard equipment. You put that in the buses, all of a sudden you can, you can put 50% more buses through the XBL. However, those buses have to be eaten by the bus terminal. So the bus terminal has to be designed instead of, hey, we're just gonna have, the, because it's, some, it's another problem that's causing this thing to, to be limited, uh, we're only gonna have to eat that many. And you look at the number that they're planning for there, they aren't planning for having these buses put the technology in there that, I know I'll be dead and gone, but is going to be there on the buses coming through there when that thing is operating. And I think they need to take a look at that again, you know. Well, Lupe Matero and I you, put Alan. that out there, you know, 25 years ago. Of course we didn't get funded to do it. I mean, you know, whatever. I've always been out on the end of at the end of the asymptote of things, uh, whatever. But you know, anyway. They also need to have smaller buses because that means they can pick up people closer to their uh, uh, point where they want to go. And they shouldn't have them all go to the bus terminal. They need to have different pickup points within New York. This well, limited to the bus terminal. The smaller the bus, uh, the more flexible it can be. Yeah, uh, Diana, you're absolutely right. Yes, smaller buses, of course, yeah, absolutely. drop-off points. And, and more drop-off points. Yeah, in in most places that is true. Manhattan is the only place where maybe it's not completely true because you have this wonderful subway system to distribute it from that point. Okay, and you have limited space, and it's really you know there. Yeah, it, yes, absolutely. I agree. And it plays well into the future with automated vehicles. Well, at some point, the the. Automate transit has not embraced automated vehicles, and it's a shame because automated vehicles is is transit. If somebody puts a service out there that hey, I just walk out, walk a block and hop in, and it takes me someplace and so on, you know that's transit, and it's public transit because it doesn't care who I am doesn't care what color I am, doesn't care whatever, I just get in, you know, just like a boss. Unfortunately, that's not how transit is always defined. Transit is defined as something that's paid for by the public, uh, public municipalities. So did you know, I was really surprised when I got to the department and found that Uber and Lyft were not counted as public transit. So if someone doesn't take a bus and instead moves to Uber or Lyft, or if someone doesn't take the subway and takes an Uber, that shows in the data that the use of public transit has gone down. That, that That's crazy. crazy. You're right. It's crazy. Yeah, right. Because someone, you know, if someone takes an electric bike or one of these bikes on electric scooter instead of the subway, that shows in the data use of transit's gone down. So when you read over the past, say, five years, use of transit's going down, one reason is because people are taking more of these other forms of transportation that are open to the public. Whereas yeah, no. in the commerce department statistics, 
public transportation is defined as everything, whether it's provided by uh, the public sector or not. Yeah, it it should, and and it it but but. <laughs> Providing mobility, being a provider of mobility, it should be a sector. So that provider in some places maybe deserves public support and public subsidy. In other places, providing that openly to everybody. And if it can be done, you know, with people paying and people making money, what's the difference? Who cares? It has, it has some real cost-saving implications because I'm sure both of you have seen these buses that go around between 10 p.m. and 6 a.m. completely empty or with maybe a few people in them. Well, say a municipality decides they're going to substitute a VIA pool or a lift uh, voucher for that bus. They can't pay for that out of their formula funds. They can pay for the bus, but they can't pay for these other things. So it gets in the way of reducing the costs of public transportation, the definitional aspects. So that's something really has to be looked at. Absolutely. Okay, I couldn't agree with you more. Absolutely. It's crazy. States have to be given more flexibility with their funds, with the funds that they get from the Highway Trust Fund to be able to use these other forms of what I see as public transit, like Uber or Lyft or electric scooter rather than just putting them into the subways and buses. And that has a lot of cost sharing and cost reducing implications. Yeah, my only, the only caveat I throw on that is, is of course, you know, the Uber and Lyft driver deserve to earn a living wage. They deserve to be able to feed their families. They, we, 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 they deserve to be, that's why I, I tip them very well, okay? whatever, because they deserve it. Okay. They really do. And, uh, and it makes it, it, it somewhat then expensive to move me around. If I then can replace that with a computer and a little gizmo and a little communications, whatever, oh. they don't have fan. My, 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 my automated driver, automated driving thing doesn't have a family to feed. Okay. I mean, it, 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 when you think about it, you know, and, and I get the mobility and most importantly, the people who can't afford to do that, who really need the mobility, who have been stuck on these buses that, you know, my goodness, um, don't go where they go when they want to go. I mean, that's why I'm in the automated vehicle. That's why I do these things, you know, because I think it would really improve those folks whose quality of life can be substantially improved by by better mobility, as opposed to just having another way to get there. You know, this allows them to get there. Yeah. That's my focus. And that's, you know, and that's, that's a lot of that's people's been, focus. That's been a, a key focus uh, all along of the yeah. Smart Driving Car Summit. We want to remind people that that's continuing. Yep. Uh, obviously, we've had to move to virtual this year, but it's continuing with live sessions uh, every Thursday at noon Eastern time. And that's continuing through the middle of April. And we're off to a great start with that, Alan. We're off to a great start, and and absolutely, and we've dealt, we've we've been dealing with with what can be done, what is done now, what can be done now with respect to the cars that the that and things that we buy now, and the way we get around now, and improving the safety of, of those, uh, but really to move then to to the the driverless realm where we're, we're really providing mobility for everybody, and and again, we're gonna. My my interest is to reach a reach a focus to bring it to Trenton, Trenton or the Trentons of this world doesn't have to be Trenton. There are a bunch of Trentons where there are a lot of people, uh, many with no cars in the household, many with just one car in the household. If you have one car in the household, what do the other three or four people do? Okay. You know, and so on that it could be put in there to really improve their quality of life. Something that's available 24 seven that allows them maybe not to get to everywhere, but at least some places, you know, and, and do it much better than the way we're able to do it now. You know, having to put a 53 foot bus out there to move somebody, you know, at 10 p.m. to go, you know, from Trenton to Capitol Health Center. Oh. Well, there's also there's also Uber, Uber Pool, Via. via they're they're absolutely very very efficient, low cost. They employ people at the same time. We have this technology now 
and they're certainly in many ways uh less expensive than running one of these large buses out absolutely absolutely so we can go to the buses we can go to that and then we can really go to the next one and and still have the uber and lyft drivers out there that you know <laughs> uber and lyft could you know serve one percent of, of the trips at best you know we want to serve not one we want to serve two three ten fifteen twenty percent of the trips you know really make a difference but anyway that's uh, whatever that's what we're this is a discussion yes. don't know the future yes. well, okay thank you very very much for inviting me uh, i well, really appreciate it is there any last question before i go i want to thank well we, you. No, we wanted we wanted to thank you for all of you absolutely all of your insight all of your work and uh, being willing to come here and share it with us absolutely and i look forward to uh hearing robert hampshire when you have him on yeah, yeah. We'll we'll get Robert. We'll see if Robert. You know, when you're in inside the administration, we don't. You know, once constrained a little bit, and that's why we didn't reach out to you when you were inside. It's it's, you know, uh, we 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 don't want to put people in 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 uncomfortable positions, right? <laughs> but uh, but anyway, that. This is a discussion. It's a great discussion that we had today, and we thank you. And again, um, um, we're just trying to do good. Okay. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate. It. Thanks for thank you. Uh, all the weekly uh, columns and podcasts that I get. I learn immeasurably <laughs> from. Thank you. Thank you. Thank, thank you, you okay. Diana. Thank you. And thank you to our sponsor, the Smart ETFs, Smart Transportation and Technology ETF. The ticker symbol for the ETF is MOTO, and more information is available at MOTOETF.com. You can find us at SmartDrivingCar.com. That's also the place to go for more information about the Smart Driving Car Summit to register there or to maybe sponsor. Again, it's smartdrivingcar.com. Also, you can find us on Anchor FM, Spotify, TuneIn, Apple, Google, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Amazon Music these days, and more wherever you get your podcasts. You can ask your smart speaker to play us too. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with Alan Kornhauser. Thank you for listening or watching, and please stay safe. And have a continued great weekend. Bye.